Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we start today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want to hear from you and get your feedback. Hit us up over at IndieCornrows.com as well. We're always uh, less active in the comment section recently because this has been a busy start to summer, but always try and, uh, and be active there. Um, Caitlin, joined as always by Caitlin Cooper, my good friend, co-host and colleague. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Doing well, ready to do yet another episode of Stock Up, Stock Down. I think our series is getting close to winding down here. Yeah, Only we're a just few about names done. left. Yeah, kind of crazy. Very, very crazy. Um, first thing I have to ask you, are you worried at all about the opposing teams getting intel from our podcast that we're doing? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm sure that they're waiting every morning to see if there's an upload. Yeah. on our podcast feed because they want to know what our takes are. I'm, I'm certain that's a thing that's happening. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, I, they're going to find out exactly about how I'm finding a, my ways to slide on defense just by listening to the podcast. It's going to change in game four. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited today. We're joined by a good friend of mine, someone who covers the G League better than anybody uh, in basketball, and that's Dakota Schmidt from over at The Call Up. That is his um, – his Substack that you guys can subscribe to that I recommend subscribing to. He has some great interviews, film breakdowns over there. Dakota, how are you doing today, man? I am doing great. It is very nice outside here in Wisconsin, which is something I can only say for a few months. Welcome to the weather five. <laughs> but yeah, I am uh, very excited to talk about a prospect that I've been into for around a year now. Good. Okay. The, the Midwest energy is strong. We have yes, a G yeah. League expert on board. I think that we're already off to a great start. Yeah, this is we we have hit the the niche of niches possible in uh, in basketball podcasting. Caitlin, who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Dyson Daniels, who there's been some reporting coming out. He recently worked out with the Knicks. Um, and while he was there, apparently several Knicks reporters had asked him what other teams he was going to be working out for. And he said the Indiana Pacers. So, um, among the other teams, I think that the Pacers are the second highest team in terms of draft order. I think he's also working out for the Pistons who are clearly, you know, selecting ahead of the Pacers, but we have yet to hear who the Pacers are working out at in lottery range. Mm -hmm. All their workouts so far have mostly been dominated by potential second round picks. So, um, very timely for us to be talking about him today. Yes, 100%. Um, who was the last Australian player to play for the Pacers? I was trying to think about that this morning, and I have no idea. I, Yeah, I couldn't name one. I can only name a handful of Australian players, probably, period. Yeah, um, no, exactly. So it's uh, like I, the last person I can think of was Mitch Creek. Who and I also want to point out, like, you and I aren't big on player comps anyways, but must we only compare Dyson Daniels to Australian players? I don't think we have to. I, you know, maybe we do have to. He's Ben Simmons, if you really think about it. Um, no, he's not. Uh, 
He's also think, Josh Giddy, if you really think about it. I saw that, and that is insane. I'm sorry. I like Dyson for a lot of reasons, but yeah, no, that's there is no comparison. I'm sorry. Um, I, I want to do this one a little bit differently because I do think we want to. I, I just to turn it over to, to Dakota in a minute before we start into stock up, stock down, which we'll do a, a breakdown of. I would love to just talk about context in general because um, this is my second year scouting G League Ignite. This year, very different from last year. This is just my take on it. Like I thought, and I'm interested to see what you think. I thought last year's roster was a lot better suited um, to support the players that uh, that were the clear draft prospects. You know, obviously with Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, it was a different talent level too, to be completely clear as well. Um, how did you feel about this year's roster compared to last year's? Because I do think there was a, there were definitely some bumps in the road uh, throughout the season, I felt. Yeah, in terms of roster construction, it was not the best. Like they really didn't have like like a real uh, player to really run the show the way that they did in prior prior season with uh, Jared Jack. Um, it was it was the night was definitely a tougher watch this year, especially uh, during the uh, beginning of the season. But I really thought that they got together uh towards the end but yeah i do do agree with you on questioning their uh roster construction <clears throat> yeah it was uh it was it was interesting to say the least um caitlin what is stock up stock down for those who aren't aware i've once again been saved i did not brief our our, our, our guest but he was aware of what we do beforehand the bit continues Right. So if you haven't listened before, the format we're calling Stock Up, Stock Down because we're doing a different prospect each week. Mark and I select a handful of full games to watch of that prospect. We both watch the same sample and then we're picking specific clips from that game that we're either more bearish or more bullish about to create a topic. And then we run that past um, our expert, which today is Dakota. The games that we watched were against the late season games against Stockton. Um, they played Santa Cruz multiple times, but we watched the one, I believe, from January yep. and then the early season game against the Long Island Nets. Yes, yes. We got three pretty pretty good differentiation in uh, in what we're looking at. And I think just to point out, um, like this year, even more so than last year, the prospects, all, like all, I think pretty much every prospect on Ignite, I don't have all the numbers in front of me. I know for sure with – with Dyson Daniels and Jaden Hardy, their numbers really improved as the year went on, especially for Hardy. Like he, he struggled early on in the year as they really found their way that that improved. So like Dyson's last 10 games, 13.3 points, seven boards, six and 6.1 assists on 48, 41, 50 shooting. He did not take a lot of free throws. Um, so I wouldn't put too much stock into the 50, but um, point being like it really, you could see them grow both in confidence, just also in finding each other, throughout the course of the season. So I think that's another important thing to note as well, which is why we went through and made sure we took uh, some samples from each part of the season. Um, Caitlin, how do you, do you want to, do you want to get started with stock up or do you want me to start? Um, I can get started with okay. it. I, I'm guessing that we probably have a fairly similar pick for the stock up, but that's yeah. just my assumption. Mine is a little bit self-indulgent. I must admit, <laughs> I'm going to be able to grandstand about one of my basketball icks and pet peeves here a little bit, not because Dyson does it, but you will see. So my stock up, I'm calling quick math because I think one of the things that stood out to me the most about Dyson is what he does in transition defense. 
And why I pick transition defense, it's not even just his skill set there, but you have to be able to make very quick decisions, whether you're, you know, back in a mini zone, you're having to pick between multiple options, stunt between multiple options. It showcases his recovery skills. It showcases the fact that he has great hand-eye coordination, quick reaction speed. So you're kind of getting the best of him in a microcosm in that setting. Mm-hmm. So, and also because there are certain circumstances where he would get, you know, cross matched on a big. And while I don't think he's necessarily somebody who's going to guard one through five and that setting when it's really quick, he could, you know, be vertical in the post. And one of the games against the Warriors that I watched another one where, you know, he might be guarding a guard. He's able to cut off that driving lane and transition and induce a pull-up shot. Um, so I call it quick math because you're going to see in the section when you open up our article, which I always want to tell people that we put, articles in tandem with these podcasts that he just always seems to make the right decision. He's just a smart basketball player. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff that he does isn't necessarily going to be flashy, but like in a one-on-one setting, he's the first person back. He resists the urge to come up where he would then be giving up cuts. He stays back contests and is also able to grab the rebound in a one-on-two situation. He can, you know, he stops the ball and he gets back and gets the block, which is just absurd. Then when he's two on two, he has the sense to recognize, Hey, I have a running mate. They're going to be able to take away that pass. I could be a little bit more aggressive and play cat and mouse with the ball and does like the Danny green where you, you know, jumping backward and sideways to get the ball handler off rhythm. But my main grandstand here that I want to bring up is I think an underrated aspect of him that I noticed when I was watching these games is that he's pretty decent at moving away from the ball on offense. And because he does that, it creates a lot more floor balance. So like if you had access to it and you just clip, you just clicked like Dyson Daniels transition defense. All you're going to see in those types of clips is just what's happening on the defensive end of the floor. And, And he's back a lot of the time. And I think a lot of times we think, Oh, if players just get back, well, they have to be in the position to actually get back and be able to take away a quick outlet pass. So in the Long Island Nets game, the clip that I really wanted to show, he gets back and and it's a, again, a two on one situation and he stops the ball and gets a block, but um, Marjan Bochamp is actually like doing a methodical drive from the wing at the other end of the floor. And Dyson has the recognition to not just back out to the corner and plant himself there, but he rotates up along the top of the key as the drive is occurring. And that's very key. And it's not something that's guaranteed. Not every player does this so that he is back. He's not going to have his team paying a fast price. And the reason I bring this up is there are so many times prior to the trade, after the trade where the Pacers floor balance had a lot to do with why their transition defense was so bad. And when I say it was bad, It was really bad. They gave up 144 points per um, 100 transition plays, which was dead last in the NBA after the trade deadline. So like I have a clip in here that you'll be able to compare where um, they're playing Boston. Tyrese drives out of the pick and roll and he's going to do one of those passes where he's kind of hanging in midair under the basket to pass it to the corner. And Buddy Heald is the opposite guard up, which means he should be lifting like Dyson did to get back and be able to get back in transition. And instead you're going to see him creep back into the frame Strangely enough, to the same side of the floor that Terry Taylor's shooting on when most corner shots are going to exhibit a weak side bias and they're just the entire team is flattened out. They have no hope of getting back to defend that against Boston. So um, long soliloquy. My point here is that Dyson Daniels, smart basketball player. I really love that. And luckily, we did hit on slightly different things. I do think that plays in a bit. But Dakota, where, where are you at on that? 
Um, I, I definitely agree uh, about Dyson Daniels being a smart offense player, especially um, on the offensive end. Uh, I will get into his, uh, his work as a passer in a little bit, but like his use of pacing and just his ability to recognize, you know, to know where his surrounding players are, um, but not uh, like honing his eyes on them to make the defense, you know, think that he's going to, you know, pass it out is, you know, really impressive for a player, you know, as young as he is. Yeah, I think to hit on that too, one of the things that I really like, Caitlin, like you mentioned defensive transition. One of the small things that I really liked about him that it's not major, but just in transition in general, considering how much he uh, he he would initiate offensive sets. I always appreciated how he would like it, it seemed like pretty concurrent, like every time that he was bringing the ball up, if he had an opportunity or he thought there was maybe like maybe there's a four on three or something, he's going to try and push and get two feet in the paint and see what happens. Oftentimes, he'll, you know, because he's not the burstiest guy and his handle's not amazing, he'll get the turd and then turn back and then start a set from outside. But I always did appreciate like seeing him like uh, you could see him working and seeing like, OK, maybe I can make something happen here. I, I, I really like that. Um, my stock up that I want to hit on is defensive plasticity. Um, so for me, I and I don't because this is going to come off more lukewarm than I intend for it, because I mean this in like the best way. By plasticity, I mean just ability to kind of do a little bit of everything to a, a solid degree on defense. I don't really think he I don't want to say that he doesn't have a calling card on defense. Um, but I I mean, there have been some some mainstream people who have uh, considered him the best defensive a uh, perimeter defender in the class. I cannot get there, but I do think he does a ton of things technique wise that are really good, especially for his size. I think he measured around six, eight or six, nine at the NBA combine. His screen navigation for his size is really strong uh, on both ends, I think. Um, but particularly on defense, I wouldn't say like, I do think like he has a, uh, he has some limitations that hold him back from to me being like an elite, elite defensive prospect. But I think it's like, in Washington play, like I, I think there's like a little bit of an aesthetic bias in watching him defend at the point of attack because I compared him to Denny Avdia a little bit. And Caitlin and I did a podcast on him not too long ago. Well, I guess pretty long ago now that I think about it, but before the trade deadline. And like I think there's a lot of comparisons there and how they defend at the point of attack. Like they're much more about using their length to try and corral players than using their chest and slides to necessarily get stops on the perimeter. Um, like he's always capable of, of coming back and, and flashing and reconnection and um, giving kind of seeding ground to take it away as well, I think is something he's really strong at. Um, he's not like the fleetest of foot, so he's not quite like uh, I think his ground coverage is where I find him like a, a little bit lacking defensively. Like I, I think I prefer him playing at the nail or at the point of attack than necessarily being a low man. Like he definitely has some moments where he can, uh, especially in the Stockton game where he was really good, um, you know, tracking the ball and defending the rim too. But um, I just point being like, he's capable of covering a multitude of, of, of areas defensively without necessarily having any significant weakness to me. Um, so I, I, I really, I mean, especially for a team, like we've talked about throughout all these pods that needs defensive aptitude. Um, I really appreciate watching Dyson play like his hands are so active like like I mentioned the end of season stats he averaged three stocks over the last 10 games um most of that just from like he's really good at um he times things incredibly well on you know if you're getting into a spin or if you're 
um, any sort of dribble move. He's really good at timing things up and just stripping the ball. Um, he blows up DHOs well. Like he just does a lot of things where he plays functionally big. Um, and I really appreciate that. It's interesting because I think I have a little bit of a divergent opinion because I liked him defending a lot better. As you say, I like him one pass away. I mean, he had a really good play against Long Island where he ended up getting a recovery block on the guard in the paint, but more what his work was doing was how deep you can play him at the nail. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not just putting him at the free throw line. Like, he can sag pretty deep and still get back to his guy to really, you know, clog up that driving space. But I like him a lot better defending without screens than with a screen. Like, I, I agree that he can take back the space and recovery, but I don't think his navigation is great there. Like, yeah. I, I think that especially if he's guarding a quicker guard, like if you're looking at this in the Pacers context, who among Chris Duarte, Dyson Daniels, and Tyrese Halliburton do you want defending, I don't know, De'Aaron Fox? No, yeah, no. Okay, that's a good point. I guess I should phrase it differently. Like, I don't think he – like, I meant, like, for, for him being 6'8 or 6'9, I think he's a solid screen navigator. But it, like you're mentioning, I think for – um, if you're asking him to – yeah, I guess I didn't think about it like that. If you're asking him to guard straight up at the point of attack against like a primary option, he's getting run through a million screens. That's not going to be ideal. Yeah, I kind of like I like his reaction speed. I again, I really like him one pass away and what he does mm-hmm. there. And I like him without a screen. I think he had some really nice plays and one on one that I saw where, like I said, he can take away um, the drive, be able to keep his body there, like what you're referencing with Denny and still be able to, you know, induce a pull-up shot that that remains contested. So I like that, but I'm interested to hear Dakota's opinion on some of his defense. Um, I am not as positive about uh, Dyson's defense as Marcus. Um, just a little bit ago before I uh, got a link to Zoom call, I was looking back at a lot of his, uh, just going through his, defensive players and one thing I figure out like Mark said he's not the fleetest of foot and he kind of tends to overuse his length and you know when it came to him you know guarding you know ones especially you know quicker ones like um quicker ones or twos like Craig Randall or um, even Cap Barber like I feel like um him not being the quickest guy and him um kind of trying to use his length got the worst of him because when you know those quicker quicker guards uh try to burst past him he Dyson really didn't you know push forward in trying to make the block which uh led to you know those guards scoring and especially in you know screen navigation if uh if a guard like uh Cap Barber and you know some of the clips I saw of him going against uh, College Park, if if a guard like Cat uh, uses the, you know, uses uh, a few uh, rescreens, um, Dyson just tended to kind of kind of lose focus, which, you know, let Cat, too, as a veteran uh, guard, you know, get an advantage and being able to get to a spot. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I felt with some of the ones because you'd see a lot of that read screening action for him to get through it. I think it's somewhat of a comparison. Like if people go back and listen to the Johnny Davis pod, they would defend screens very differently where I don't think you're going to see a lot of Dyson Daniels being able to manipulate 
Um, it's It has to do, I think, a little bit because some of it shows up on offense, too. He just doesn't have a lot of wiggle at this current point yeah. in time. I, I, I just think that, like, you're not going to see a lot of him staying skinny to get through a screen. It's going to be more about, like, you know, in situations where he doesn't give up a, on a play and is able to get back and swallow up some of that space. But I would have what you're just saying, more concerns about that against, like, if you're the Pacers and you're hoping to find a guy that, hey, we like Chris and we like Tyrese better being able to use their off-ball instincts, I don't know that I would feel confident that I can throw Dyson onto the opposing point guards to do that um, full time. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Like I hadn't, I guess I should have thought about it more in terms of him defending point guards than, you know, like defending threes or just defending more his side. Yeah. Um, Because that makes a lot more sense in my head now. So I would, yeah, I would, I would revert to what you guys are saying as well. Um, I, it's interesting though, in terms of like, so when I was talking about ground coverage at the beginning, like you mentioned, I like him one one pass away, but I did think, especially when he was playing as the low man, um, if he had to recover to the corner, I didn't love it. Like, I think that's where you could see some of the um, – I, I, like, again, I want to call him slow, but I do think, like, if if somebody's attacking right off the catch and he's closing the corner, I don't feel, like, super positive about him getting that stop. But I also, like – I think part of, like, what I mentioned, too, with the aesthetic a little bit and how he defends – like he's much more somebody who like like we've talked about with and Mark Stein reported about it being uh, looking likely that Miles Turner will be with the Pacers this next year on a substack yesterday. Um, he's somebody who I would be much more comfortable if he's on this team with Miles at this stage. Would you agree with that? Because I feel like he's a lot better at like we've talked about, like using his length, riding guys out necessarily than getting a stop. Yeah, I, I again. Yeah, I, I think that that would be it. I mean, I would. But the same thing is like, if they're going to be a switching team, I would probably feel a little bit better yeah. with him switching than I would if you're going to be, it's like the reverse Johnny Davis. I would feel better yeah. with Johnny Davis if you're going to be funneling stuff to miles and be chasing over. Um, but I do agree that the, your point about the low man rotation is interesting because you had a moment in that long Island Nets game where he had a pretty bad snafu where he was already pulled over. And I appreciate this about him that he's very good at two nining. He will pull over early and be there on time to be able to roll, to bump the roller. But if that doesn't happen, he's so intent on processing what his next rotation is that he can kind of unprocess what's happening behind him. So like he actually pulled like a Lance Stevenson and went back to chase a ghost in the corner who then ended up just cutting right yeah. behind him. So I think some of that's there, but yeah, I, I do feel better about Overall, I like him as a nail defender and I like him being able to defend like what you're saying. Um, the Pacers don't, I mean, they have so many holes on defense, but um, yeah. being able to have somebody who can guard wings and have his, all the skills that we mentioned, stunning between options, hand-eye coordination, recovery skills. I like his ability to make emergency rotations and meet guys at the rim at times as well. So, I mean, that showed up a lot in the transition defense. He's a good leaper off of two feet. I'm sure we can get into what he's like off of one foot later, but um, I think that's a pretty good summation of of his defense and how both of us felt about that. But if we can, if you want to head into the stock down, we can we can do that. Yeah. What is what is your stock down? So my stock down, I'm actually just kind of calling contact, which yeah, that's a great. Yep. Um, it's a it's a curious thing because I'll get both of your opinion because I kind of want to start here, and I'll just get a quick answer from both of you. Positions are somewhat outdated, I know, but what does Dyson Daniels play, in your opinion? Like, don't think about it in the Pacers context. Just what is the best position for Dyson Daniels offensively? Or what is his role? I guess I should put it better that way. 
Um, I think I'm, I was talking, I had some people ask me questions about this day. I'm certainly lower on him as an offensive prospect than I think others are. Um, mm. Like, I think, like, I don't know. It's tough because in some ways, like, and we'll get into this too, like he has a really good touch inside the arc. Like, I think he shot close to 50% on floaters this year. And that wasn't a small number. Like, that's, it's legit good. But I have a lot of concerns with the jumper. Like, it got better. I don't think it's a versatile shot at all. Like, his feet are really close together. It still needs a lot of work. Um, I think it can get to being good. I don't know that I believe in him becoming, like, a viable movement shooter, which is where I think a lot of potentially, you know, him being able to run more secondary actions would come from. Because if he's not getting, you know, if he's not drawing, a, like, a if he doesn't become, like, a gravity well uh as a shooter, I'm not sure what his, you know, what he's doing to impact the defense um, routinely without necessarily even having the ball in his hands, which makes me a little bit worried. Um, and I mean, that'll fall into my stock down too, but yeah, I think to me, he's, he's, a, he, I mean, he's kind of a four, like he's really more of a four in some ways. Like, I think like you want him, like ideally he's going to be able to handle the ball a little bit and like, we talked about, I think there are some ways where he could bring the ball up and, um, and initiate sets or, or something in transition too. But even then, like, I think that there are some weaknesses that we'll talk about. So he's in a really odd place per se, as a, as an offensive prospect for me. Dakota, same question. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I feel like he's, like I, I want him to be more aggressive on the boards because him being able to uh, push the action and you know lead the team in both transition half court I think uh, is what's the skill of his it, with the D League Ignite and will be a skill of him at the of his at the pro level. Like I feel like he's at least in recent memory one of the better prospects in terms of. With with the ball in his hands, especially as a uh, as a facilitator, when it comes to just creating within the flow of an offense, and you know, with me having that in mind, I feel like he, like a lot of times he'd be a three or four, but um, you know, some if he sometimes he'd be a three or four, but I feel like he has a lot of you know one in him when it comes to just being able to. Uh, creates for others within the flow of an offense in, you know, half court sets. Yeah. I think that I would, I think he projects probably best as like a wing connector, wing yeah. connective tissue combo guard, maybe like in part, because I mean, it showed up in these games. It showed up in a couple others that I went ahead and watched. Cause we had some extra time. I don't love his handle in tight spaces or against extensive ball pressure and mm -hmm. transition to be thinking that he's going to be doing that as primary. And in the case of the Pacers, like he's not going to need to be doing that as primary because you have Tyrese Halliburton, but then to go off of Mark's point, he is a, a floater heavy scorer. Like the floater is kind of a thing, even when he's in the post sometimes, like that's what he's going to go to. He has the really pretty spin move back to his floater, turning over his shoulder. Um, but then I kind of go to a place of, it's kind of hard to be a floater dependent scorer if you don't have either a reliable pull-up three or you're able to take and withstand a shoulder bump. I think yep. he's going to have to add one of the two of those 
things in my opinion, because even if he's not putting the primary bend in the defense, which I wouldn't necessarily project him to do, the Pacers offense has a lot of second side pick and rolls in it. And there was moments in these games where opponents were even ducking deep under second side pick and rolls and, and purposely getting to his floater spot. So then it's like, can he get in and use kind of the veer step to get his way back to the front of the rim? There was moments against Stockton where I think the answer to that would kind of be no at this current point in time. Um, I think that was a little bit hit or miss. And then when he's jumping off of one foot, he just doesn't get a lot of elevation off that. It's, it's curious when you watch the difference between him, like tracking a guard from the perimeter on defense and how he's able to get up and meet somebody at the rim when he leaps off of two feet versus offensively when he's like driving from the slot or out of a second side pick and roll, um, how much easier it is for opponents to kind of recycle some of those shots when he actually does get to the basket. And he's just not um, getting free throws at a very high rate, like Mark said, like you can look at that and say, okay, 50% from the line, but he barely got there. But Instat has him shooting 60% at the line for the entire season, which isn't a great number. And then he drew free throws on 14.8% of his field goal attempts, his free throw rate. Um, Halliburton for his career is at 16.1%. So some of me thinks, and I don't like player comps, but I'll get your feedback on this, Mark. Some of me thinks that when I watch Dyson Daniels, I see some of Lonzo like, and not what people thought Lonzo was going to be. And I'm not being derogatory towards Lonzo. I like a lot of the things that he does, but who Lonzo actually is like what Dakota said, he does have the hit ahead passes. He can do some of that in transition, but it's more so like, and to Lonzo's credit, he shot the ball better off the catch. He's that was an area that he improved, but like if he can draw a closeout, being able to attack there, find, the place for the next pass. I think that Dyson is very patient um, when he drives and he does collapse a defense, which happened at the G league level. He's very patient waiting for cutters and finding the right spot. Generally it's like if he, if he was taking a basketball test, he's generally going to pass it. Is he going to manipulate the defense? I don't know that I would say that, but he's going to read the defense. Yeah. I think you brought up so many great points that I want to hit on. I, uh, it's a very niche comp, but like I wrote about uh, Maureen Johannes yesterday, who is just signed to play with the New York Liberty. And she is like, like you're kind of fitting out. She is like very much like a Dyson in different wiring, but like in that same vein of when you are someone who you're uh, a lot of your playmaking and reads that aren't connected are going to come out of what your shooting gravity is. Um, if you aren't going to have the ability to get to those spots that are good for you. Like you have to be such a good shooter to make defenses care to that level. Like, I think that's what makes it hard. Like, like you were mentioning with Lonzo, um, if you don't have the burst or handle to routinely get to the rim, you just have to be so, so good as a shooter to make it um, not saying worth it is strongly put it, but to really hit like your highest outcomes as an offensive player, um, which is what makes it really interesting because especially like, Dyson just did not take pull-up threes, really. Like, I think he took less than one a game uh, with GLI, and he also just never looked for it. Like, there are times, like you mentioned, Caitlin, in the Stockton game, how often uh, they were going under on him. Like, he didn't even look for it. Like, he would just lean into right away, just turn the corner and would not even look to shoot. And part of it, like, he has really long strides, so he can get to the, you know, towards towards the paint um, still, but – like that's not going to be there to the same level level in the NBA, especially like, and he's somebody who too, like I would be very worried about him with switches. Like, I think he's somebody who, okay. If you're um, 
if you don't really want, if you don't want him to get to a slaughter early, which I think teams will be fine with for the most part, but more like if you are just like, okay, well, we're going to force you to shoot it from outside. If they just switch, I'm just not sure how he's impacting the defense because like, unless he becomes like, you have to be such a nuclear shooter from mid range um, and being able and like, I think that there's a way where he does maybe get to a point where he shoots well over people, but also he didn't shoot well on pull up twos this year either. And he didn't take a lot of them. Um, so it's just it's a it's a very difficult equation of figuring out how you get the most out of him um, as an offensive player or how you get him to a level where um, it's I'm, I'm trying to think of the right wording here. But I, I'm, point being, I'm like totally in line with you here. I think Alonzo um, ideas are is a really, really positive one is for what he really is right now. Yeah. What's the name of the G League team, the Mexico City G League team? What's their nickname? I'm trying to I think it's the Capitans. Yeah, yeah that's, that, that's that's correct. Yeah. So they ducked under everything against him. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to watch a little bit more because there was people actually like asking and requesting that we do this pod, Mark. Yeah, so we were getting was, a lot. <laughs> I was trying to be prepared, but like they ducked under a lot and he actually did like he would pull and, and stop and take the three. But which I mean, I give him credit for because like that's in part, I don't like comparing Australian to Australian because I don't think these people are that similar. But like there's a difference between doing that and being Ben Simmons, just abjectly refusing to do it. Yeah. But um, I do think it's going to be like, I think that, I mean, he shot, take it for what you will. He did shoot over 40% over the last 10 games of the G League season. Um, I don't think that his stroke needs to necessarily be remade. I do agree with you about what you mentioned about the feet. I think some of that is more so his problem. And allegedly on workouts and stuff, this is apparently why he's rising up boards because he is shooting the ball better. We aren't seeing that. I can't project it off of that. So I'm just going from what we saw in these particular games. I do think sometimes he could shake up and draw a longer closeout, which would Mm -hmm. sometimes lead people because it's longer when you do that. Sometimes it will also be a harder closeout because the person's rushing and can get off balance but then you know is he going to take a sidestep three out of that like I don't know like that will allow him to attack and potentially get to the floater but I think where I ended up with mine and before we head into what you overall have with the contact is I really want to see him even more than the pull-up develop like I said that veer step where when he gets into the basket if he can get you know his shoulder back in front of the big's chest and still be able to access the front of the rim I think that would help him a lot, but I more so like came across by the end of this thinking to myself, he and Tyrese are not, they do not have similar overall skill sets, but I do think that like, if you made a rough list of what their weaknesses and strengths are, there would be a lot of overlap, which then makes me think to myself, like, I think that Dyson playing with Tyrese would be very good for Dyson. I think it would be complimentary and alleviating to a degree because it would allow him to play as connective tissue. But as it pertains to Tyrese, I think that it could be somewhat replicative, if not cramped, depending upon what happens with Dyson's shot. Like, do you need more of like, you know, the feel floater touch, nail defense, low usage scoring, you know, full court outlet passes that Tyrese does. Like it's not necessarily that you can't have two people doing that. It's just from like a team building perspective, would you rather address a weakness or just have kind of more of more? And like, I do think that that Dyson has a lot more range defensively than Tyrese Mm. does. Again, they're not necessarily similar players. It's just that I'm not sure that I necessarily like it overall for Tyrese. 
Well, yeah. And like you're hitting on too, what's interesting, like I, and I, I don't want to make you sound like I, I don't like Dyson as a prospect or anything, but I just think like, I don't really view him as somebody who's going to be even like running benches. Like I'm not there with his handle and ability to get downhill at all. So I, I think that's what makes it more so like you're mentioning, like, I think if he had more of that, that he could lean into when he's like, uh, you know, when he's not playing alongside Tyrese or like if Tyrese on the bench, then I'd feel differently. But yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Yeah, because I mean, we didn't really talk about the handle that much, but that I think that he stock down. Yeah. Okay, so he did develop the hang dribble, and he does have like a few times. I'm like, oh, that's pretty nice. Like he went to the behind the back to get to the left to get to his next move. But um, I'll let you go with it since that's what you picked. Yeah, no, it's just uh, the handle is. It's not even just the handle. I should just say his ability to get into the paint is overall pretty like rough. Um, like he doesn't have uh, like I think part of that is taught, like you mentioned a little bit with the flexibility, Caitlin, like he's not very bendy. He doesn't have a lot of downhill verve just because like um, like he's obviously like a very long athlete. But I think part of that is like he doesn't get very low to the ground. Um, so he's normally playing up pretty high. His handle is pretty high. It's pretty loose. It's it's out to the side a little bit. And especially like nail help can can really throw him off. Um, like I think he's. He's somebody like if there wasn't nail help, then Dyson would get to the room all the time or it would just get into the paint all the time. But nail help exists, unfortunately. And I think you saw like a lot of his turnovers this year weren't from bad passes. It was from somebody reaches over at the nail and you're like, oh, shit, I lost the ball. Um, so I think that automatically like stands out as an issue. Like and there's a lot of jump stops, too, where he's he drives into the paint. There's two or three defenders there. and He's like, I can't get get anywhere here. So he has to stop and like credit to him, like he makes good decisions. But kind of like we talked talked about with Jeremy Sohan on the last pod, like it is easy to wall him off because his handle doesn't allow him to get to where he wants to go. Um, and I just don't really have a lot of confidence in that necessarily getting to a level where that's going to be a lot better. Um, Dakota, where are you at with his handle right now? Um, I'm, I'm kind of more with, with the both of you. Like I'm against better competition. I'm worried about just defenses and, um, you know, point guards or string guards, just smaller players being able to take advantage of his high dribble and uh force the ball loose. But he does have some counter moves, like Caitlin said, he does have a nice uh behind the bag dribble, which uh, uh, back in his um Australia tape, even before the U19s, like he had this one behind the uh back dribble and just burst in the paint that just really <laughs> that was one of the reasons why I became such a big fan of him as a prospect uh last year but him his high dribble him you know you know being more you know upright as a driver is you know one thing you know that worries about me as he you know transitions to uh the next level yeah oh sorry go ahead galen no 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 no. you go ahead well i was gonna say and it's uh it's just difficult too because like you're mentioning like i think uh fiba is where we started to see a lot of the issues in his handle um, because there were some, at least like even prior to FIBA um, last summer, which how is that even that feels longer and shorter than a year ago <laughs> simultaneously. But um, like prior to FIBA, there were a lot of uh, like there were there was a lot of hope that maybe Dyson becomes more of a creator bet in this class. And that like like you're mentioning, like that became a very clear issue in FIBA, like, oh, his handle is not there. Um, I do want to be fair too. Um like he's very much so he does not feel like his body is done growing whatsoever. That's without any science behind it. But like 
I feel like it's very clear in watching him that he's still like he has room to add onto his frame without necessarily being super skinny right now. Like he's pretty wiry, but like, I think he's somebody you can watch and project and be like, yeah, this guy's going to um, add quite a bit. Uh, Not athletically is the wrong way to put it, but like, I do think there are going to be some, some, some biological changes for sure. Um, But I also just think like, it's very haphazard to bet on that him just being becoming somebody who like randomly his core gets amazing and he's able to dribble through traffic like that's that's like years and years of stuff actually happening so i don't know that's it just gets harder to project that stuff out for me yeah to i don't know if caitlin has anything to add but to to go on to your point like i definitely agree with the fact that it seems like his body is still developing and he's still developing confidence like within his body like going back to the defense end like I wouldn't have the concerns that I do if, like, he was more willing to utilize his frame in terms of, like, being vertical, using uh, verticality on the defensive end. And, yeah, like I said, he seems like he just doesn't seem as confident in his body. Like, he kind of reminds me of, like, a like a baby deer <laughs> in a way. <laughs> With how he, uh, with how he, you know, uh, moves around. See, that's interesting too because that's part of the reason why I compared him to Denny a little bit. Because not, I, I don't like saying that he's not physical or something like that because I think that has a poor connotation to it. But I do think that's part of it. Like, um, like I kind of just wish sometimes like that he would jump into guys a little bit more. Um, and be more physical at the point of attack because it's not even that he's a bad point of attack defender but again like I just think if you are a player who is routinely seeding ground willingly like that just makes it that much harder at the next level to actually get stops and I think like even like we've seen with Denny like I think Denny is good at at doing things to to wall off defenders by the time they get to the to the nail or into the paint but you're still giving up dribble penetration and it's just it's not um it's not my ideal form of defense. And a part of that is my own aesthetic bias and how I would prefer to see somebody play defense. But I also think like for the player he projects as it just makes it like, ah, you know, like a little bit murkier. Yeah. You brought up like what happens to his handle when people jump him at the nail or when help defense comes. And I think that some of that probably needs some context with the ignite because I did not find their spacing to be particularly good. Oh no. Um, (laughs) um, yeah, because I, I forget which one of these three games it was, but he, Dyson had like, it was a turnover or they started to lose the ball and they they had to take it out of bounds. But you can see Jason Hart at the sideline, like motioning, like space, space, like in terms of where he just wanted people to stand. I remember let alone, what one you're talking about. Let a, <laughs> yeah, yeah let alone the fact that like defenders really didn't care much about their shooters, but I think that that would automatically improve, like, especially if Buddy's going to remain on the team and, or, and you have Chris and you have Tyrese, I don't think he's going to see so many defenders cheating into driving lanes per se, but then it still comes back to what you're saying. Like if he's playing adjacent to Tyrese, part of the reason why Buddy was able to make use of his secondary skills is because people are going to rush at Buddy. People are going to be like, Oh, Tyrese swung the ball to Buddy. I'm going to rush that hard, hard close out then Buddy could go in and Buddy hit the pull-up too pretty well for the Pacers, or he could make a connective pass to another shooter on the opposite side of the floor. But I also want to get into what you said when you were like, well, he gets into the paint and there's 
he gets walled off and then, you know, to his credit. And that's kind of what I was getting at before. Like he is patient. He will wait for cuts to develop, but I like that you pointed that out because I felt like, and again, I'm not saying that these are identical players, but before the Pacers got Malcolm Brogdon, Darren Collison very much when he would make plays out of the pick and roll was somebody who always had to stop and then pivot around. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to plant both feet. I have to pivot to make that pocket pass or whatever. Like it wasn't necessarily an in motion pass where, you know, you're, you're making the bounce pass while your stride is still in motion. And I see quite a bit of that from Dyson as well, which means you are going to have to have people that are willing to move to, to some degree to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of it's just a habit because he wants to get to his floater out of the spin move so much that when he does get stopped, that's where he's automatically going to go. And it's like, oh, there's another defender. So now I'm going to pivot around and, and make this pass to the person around me. But um, I don't know what both of you feel like him as a passer and playmaker overall, because we didn't really touch on that. Um, well, like you mentioned, he is definitely somebody who, like, I think has to play in transition to get the most out of him offensively. Like, um, like I really like his kick ahead passing. Like, it's not even necessarily him, like uh, – actually bringing the ball up and initiating success, but just him getting the ball off an inbounds um, or off of a, a defensive rebound, one, two dribbles. And he makes really good. Like he puts good placement on the ball. He makes good reads. He makes them quickly. I love his kick ahead passing. Um, as for like the actual live dribble passing though, like I think he, uh, like you mentioned, I, one of the things he did improve on throughout the year, like I still, it was not perfect, but I do think he got better. Like if nail help came, he's felt a lot better in terms of his awareness of it, at least, because early on in the year, like it felt like his awareness on both ends of the floor, you know, the, the awareness of him at the nail versus the awareness of what's happening at the nail when he's on offense felt like night and day, um, you know, watching early on in the year, like he had a, I, I want to say it was in Stockton game. He had like a, um, like a pitch back to the slot out of like after the low man came for him. And I was like, okay, cool. There's like some growth there, but point being, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Like I think uh, the velocity's solid, if not like amazing. I don't, I don't think that he like lost bad passes at any point in time, but I also don't think that like, he's not somebody who's going to beat you with skip passes or, or anything like that. I think it's mostly like if there's an open man, he's going to find them. And he has like some inventive passes, but for the most part, like it's what's presented to him and he's going to make it quickly rather than necessarily anything that's going to to break a defense because he is like a passing wizard or anything like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Mark. Like he's more of a much, much more of a reactive passer rather than proactive. Yeah. And, but when it comes to his work as a reactive passer, he's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, like you, like you mentioned with just being able to quickly process, like, like I mentioned before, being able to quickly process everything, the other, everything that's going on, on the floor, being able to make a quick pass and accurate pass is probably my favorite skill of his right now, but he's not somebody that can, that has like shown a frequent ability to, you know, draw in the defense, like use the strat as a shooter or use the strat as a driver to, you know, draw in defense and kick it out to the perimeter or to roll man or cutter or whomever. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think that again, the kind of the Lonzo skill of being able to pass those full court transition passes, but like Mark, in your opinion, it's kind of what I mentioned before about some of their strengths being replicative because Tyrese likes to throw those too. And not that you can't have two people that do it, but like 
there's actually been like Tyrese talking about, you know, when we get a rebound, I want, he wants to be able to have the ball to motor it up the floor and then Mm -hmm. give it back to teammates. And it kind of feels like that's what you need Dyson to do as well. So I just feel like, again, like is, is more always more. I don't, I don't know that I necessarily, that that's kind of how I feel in general. Yeah. And what, what makes it so interesting too, like you bring, I love that you bring that up because to me, like, what makes that kind of stuff interesting to me. And like, I've, I've written about this too. Like, I think I love guys who can push in transition that like you can do some primary things if you have um, like a real high degree of pacing and tempo and you have the shooting touch. Um, and it's all, like so much is about quickness. Like even just talking about like Emmanuel quickly for the Knicks, I get tired of the point guard discussion because he can just do guard things and that, that matters to me. But like, if you're able to, if you ratchet down the court, quick as hell and you have opportunities to, to really uh, you know, if you have like a limitation that pauses you from being a primary and you can do some of those things that makes it different. But again, like you're mentioning, if you have, it's not that it's bad to have multiple of those players on the same court, but part of why you like getting the most out of those guys matters is because you have guys on the court who can attack a bent defense and really damage it. Not that Dyson and Tyrese can't, but like, okay, the point is like, you're, you're able to create bends in the defense without necessarily needing a ball screen or anything just because you get down the court quickly and, and make quick decisions and force the defense to react before they're even fully set. And um, I do think like, like, I mean, at least where I'm, where I'm at with Dyson right now, like part of the reason like that it makes it hard with him is like, I guess he is more of like a three, four to me. And like you mentioned, part of a combo guard, too. he's just a weird prospect to divulge offensively, but like, I'm not sure even if he does have like uh, a, a rotation away from him or somebody's like two or three steps off that even if he is ta- attacking something bent that he's getting to the rim or fully being able to punish that. So that's what makes it, it, it definitely makes it very, uh, very odd because like neither, like, I mean, Tyrese is a really good play finisher, but I wouldn't view Dyson as somebody who's like a awesome play finisher, at least for the first couple of years of his career, unless some things really change. So it makes it, that's a really long ramble, but yeah, it makes it just a little bit more interesting. So like, like you were saying, Caitlin, it it would feel like overlapping in some way. Well, and because like you, you see the relationship between Tyrese and buddy in transition, for instance, and it just Mm -hmm. leads me to think that like, and again, not at all similar players. I totally understand that Dyson is an upgrade over the player I'm about ready to mention defensively, but like when you watch what Benedict Matherin does in transition, that just feels like it's going to be a lot better match with Tyrese if you want to play a more up-tempo and especially with what Rick Carlisle has them do in transition Mm -hmm. to create that type of space and also be able to use him as a cutter with what his um, sense for doing that is and just the way that his athleticism really unlocks in the open floor. But um, I think that pretty much summarizes where I'm at unless you had anything, either one of you, like topics that we haven't touched on. No, I don't, I don't think that I have anything else that I wanted to hit on. Oh, I did. Oh yeah. I did. I'm sorry. I forgot to bring up that when I asked you guys about what position you think he is, that he did interviews with reporters in New York. And again, you have to take this with a grain of salt because he's obviously interviewing for a lot of different jobs. And when in New York, you're probably going to talk about playing the point guard position because, you know, the Knicks, you know, think that they need to get a different point guard, but this is his quote. It's the versatility, Daniel said. I can play one through four. I can handle the ball. I can pass the ball. So I think my main strength is at the point guard position. 
going to so. disagree with that one, but I'm, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of understand why you would yeah. say that when you're in New York. Cause I think he was being asked questions about being able to be drafted and be their point guard. But I found it interesting that he said, I think my main strength is at the point guard position. So we'll see what he says. It's going to be interesting to monitor that when he's done with the Pacers workout. Will he say, I think my main strength is, is playing away from the ball, playing off of a point guard. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That would be very interesting. Dakota, is there anything else that you want to hit on? Uh, no, not really. I feel like we've, uh, I've expressed as uh, many opinions of Dyson Daniels as I can, but like, I think I have one more and that's the fact, like, I don't feel like we, we had the best read of who Dyson Daniels can really be on the NBA level due to like the roster construction of the Ignite and like how he didn't have much in terms of spacing on the floor. And like, I honestly feel like even with the, you know, improved athleticism, improved skill that he'll see at the NBA level, just him being surrounded by, you know, really solid shooters and could, you know, allow him to perform better in some ways immediately in the NBA compared to how he was with the uh, Ignite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that we mentioned, but how long was it before they, who did they end up adding midseason um, to play point guard for them? But that was a pretty long way into the season before yeah. that actually occurred. So um, I don't think it's always bad to get reps at primary, but as Dakota's pointing out, and like we said before, when you could clearly see their coach like urging them to have better spacing, I do agree that the play context matters and that some of these things, like what I said, like if, if Tyrese has a switch, that defender typically stays with him. He can advance the ball to the next person. I think that would be ideal for Dyson. I think that it would be alleviating for him in a lot of respects. It's just a question of um, how exactly the Pacers want to build things in a way that also, or if they are prioritizing optimizing Tyrese, or if they just want to um, build more just from this sense of how their core is. I'm more along the lines of you have next year, go in and find out exactly what you can do with Tyrese and your other, uh, and exactly what they are, but that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think we're, we're definitely in the same boat with that one. Um, and I think honestly, that's a good place to leave off. Um, Dakota, first and foremost, thank you for doing this. Second of all, to everyone listening, um, Dakota had an interview with Jason Hart earlier in the season that I recommend people to go, uh, go, go read. Yes. Um, it was very good. Gives some some good background information on Julie Knight and, and Jason Hart's career as well. It was a really good informative piece that I'll make sure to link in the in the post. Do you have anything you want to plug or mention before we get out of here? Um, I'm kind of – I'm in the last days before I get my bachelor's degree, so I'm kind of grinding Congrats. on, on score before I get back in the grind of uh, scouting over, like, last we're, – we're, we're, what, two weeks away from the – Dreads. Yeah, we're just about 14 it's, days away. It's 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 not it's like I know this is off topic, but the fact that we're like less than a month away from summer league and we're just like like game three in the NBA finals was yesterday is like nuts. Everything is gonna come at us like so much is gonna come at us super fast. Like I've <laughs> like even as much as I followed like the NBA offseason or like last 10 15 years or ever like how quick everything is like from the finals to like summer league is just 
it makes my mind like it makes my brain spin yeah <laughs> so i'm not very ready for it i just uh i think i have so i go to um i go to the, the WNBA all-star um two days before summer league opens up and then i fly to vegas and then i fly back to ohio for two days and then i have two scouting trips to close out the year so I mean, to close out July. So it's going to be it's going to be a busy month. So I, I feel you on that. Um, it's going to be a crazy, crazy month and a half, two months. Very wild summer. But um, appreciate you coming on to everyone listening. Thank you for listening. Of course. Can, uh, I, can, I, can I get my uh, plugs out? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I didn't have to cut you off. <laughs> All right. Uh, on Twitter, Dakota underscore Schmidt. Uh, my Substack is the call up dot Substack dot com make sure to subscribe if you want my content in your email uh when i uh whenever i post it uh yeah we'll make sure to have some links to that thank you again for coming on to everyone listening be sure to go read us online as well we've been putting out some great breakdowns caitlin's been absolutely killing it check them out enjoy the rest of your day hopefully it's as nice uh, for you guys as it is for us in the in the midwest Uh, enjoy your day.